and welcome to another episode of the Copcast podcast. I am not Dave Dunning, as you may be able to hear. Um, probably, if you're not from Northern Ireland, you would not hear any difference between the accents whatsoever. Uh, my name is Andy Vell. I'm hosting tonight, and I'm joined by Jay Reid, who is also in Liverpool. We could have probably done this in person over a pint, but the Liverpool bouncers have listened to a few podcasts and they were worried that the topic of Jordan Henderson would be brought up over alcohol and decided that it wasn't worth the risk. So we're, we're on Skype and, and Jay, how are you? you all right? uh, yeah, I'm very well. You got it in nice and early there. Um, but all, but all, all, you, all you had to uh, hedge his bets on when it was getting mentioned. But there you go. You had 40 seconds and Jay, Andy, Hendo, bingo. Go on. <laughs> no, so we were... We were Initially, well, we are still doing a Rivals podcast, so if you listen to the, the podcast the guys did last night, um, which I think Dave and Burrell discussed, Manchester United, um, so we were given the task to get stuck into and discuss and analyse Chelsea this season, and we are still going to do this for the majority of the podcast, but the curveball we didn't quite expect um, was around three o'clock today as we record, I'm not sure when you're listening, um, but it all started with Salah's agent putting out yet another cryptic tweet. I think it was a laughing, a laughing crying emoji, one of those those um those crying laughing ones, and everyone lost their head. Jamie Carger included. I was kind of sitting in work, Jay, thinking it's just the same thing over and over and over again. I've, I'm I'm past the point where it wound me up. And then it all seemed to turn out to be a big ploy to reel us in and then give us the news we've all been wanting for probably about a year and a half, two years since we started worrying about this. Um, and it was announced that Mo Salah was signing the contract until 2025 uh, on around 350 grand a week. So, Jay, I'll, I'll let you go on this. The floor is yours. Just uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, I got weird a bit about Wednesday. Well, yeah, well, Friday. I found out on Wednesday that it was pretty much done from somebody. But not Thanks for letting us know, Jay. I did put it Oh, did you? Okay, fair play. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did put it in the group. You were probably busy necking pints. Um, it wasn't Mike's mate Sonka, was it? <laughs> no, no, it was somebody else. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they were like, it's done. It'll be announced in the next like few days, but don't say anything sort of thing. So I was like, well, just pass it on to a couple of people, but don't put it on social media. Um, and yeah, I didn't think it'd be done today. But then when you sort of break down the logic of it, like today is officially the start of the financial year or whatever you want to put it like you know they have had to sell Richarlison by midnight last night because the skins um, and to balance the book so they could buy players this year or not go into you know deductions for points and stuff like that so in a way it does kind of make sense you know players have been released from contracts this is the new year to staffing so we've probably like cleared the books as it would be and freed up money as it is and allowed that money to be passed into most back pocket Um I think, you know, 350 is a lot of money, but he's arguably like, well, he was the best player in the, in the world last six months before Christmas, uh, maybe even the year before. Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of a dip, but we all seen why. And if the push comes to shove, I think we were all of the opinion that if it's going to be Mane or Salah, it's Salah. Um, it rolled on a bit, but... You know, those who have faith had faith and then those who've just slandered them for the last six months on Twitter and everything else can now go and crawl into a little hole and hide and say, oh, I was actually really sorry. Uh, Gary Neville, one included. 
Um, Jamie Carragher <laughs> was on the end of the fishing rod and got reeled in right by the agents as a few people were. I think we Johnny are, was as well. <laughs> um, but by the time I was like seeing what's going on here, like it was all just done within about 15 minutes. And then obviously the euphoria that it done and it like, you know, ah, it, he's staying. And all it does is for me is like the last few weeks I've just been not bothered about football because of the, the way the season ended and stuff. This sort of just gets you excited for the new season again. You're like, right now, now we've got like the signs in the door. The preseason starts on Monday. You know, you'll see the videos of Milner outrunning everyone, and then you get this Salah news. It's like that's it now. Like we feel primed and ready to go. Like, and we feel that if we get them, would be great. If we don't, then that's just how it is. Um, but we seem to have all our chips in line. We've done all our business nice and early. Like, it just just feel like you. We're proud and ready to go now and attack the year because, well, we've got to. Like, we've got them lads down the M62. We're throwing money around like it's going out of fashion. And all we can do is look after ourselves and do our business shrewdly. And I think we have. Um, and to tie Salah down just puts a peg down in, in the ground and says, like, here's where we stand now. Like, we are not held to ransom for letting players go to big clubs. Like, we've got the ability to keep these lads. We're not a a stepping stone anymore with a destination like we've got all the big players nailed down to long term contracts like three or four years including the gaffer so it's all good signs for us I think yeah I completely agree with you and I think the the Salah thing's a, a weird um, juxtaposition in terms of how I view Liverpool transfers because I think I was saying this in the last podcast we did. I've, I've so much faith in the in the system in you know, previously Michael Edwards, now Julian Ward, that basically anyone who leaves, whether it be Sadio Mane, whether it be you know Genie Wijnaldum, I, I always believe that there's been a plan in place for for this to happen and, and contingency plans for kind of five, six, maybe even ten years down the line, the way the clubs run these days. And in contrast, about a decade ago, you know, the, the, the famous behind the scenes being Liverpool uh, documentary in Channel 5, where it was, it was basically just the office, wasn't it? And it was it was clear for everyone to see how much of a shit show the club was from top to bottom, even though kind of five years previous to that, it was it was even worse than that. So, like, I always have so much faith now. But as you say, like, Mo Salah, you're absolutely correct. He was the best player in the world, certainly from... I don't know, June to around about December before the African Cup of Nations. And while I've always faith that, that we can find a player to replace these, these guys, well, if it's the best player in the world, you literally can't replace that. You know what I mean? So, you know, Luis Diaz has come in and he's been magnificent. He's been a great addition and he couldn't possibly have settled in any, any better. But if we would have signed Diaz to replace Salah, that wouldn't have been enough because the quality difference is still there at the moment. So it was just such an important one to get over the line. And I guess... The big concern for us was the the wage structure, wasn't it? The, it was the idea that Salah was wanting wages that was going to break our wage structure. And it was kind of in that weird position where, you know, Salah is more than deserving of 400 grand, 500 grand a week. But with the way Liverpool do things, you know, that means that Virgil van Dijk isn't going to sit there on, on 200 grand a week when Salah's on 500. And, you know, Thiago and, and Trent and these guys have won us leagues and Champions Leagues and I've been as much of a part of Liverpool's success as Salah has, um, but they seem to find that sweet spot with the the, the reported three hundred and fifty grand a week, don't they? Um, yeah, I think it, it works it, perfectly for us. Yeah, two year extension. So you know, if he comes, if he gets to sort of thirty two and there's a year left in his contract, then we reassess where he's at in terms of has there been a drop off in his quality. 
Um, and it, it's it just everything about it. The finances, the length of the contract seems to be seems to be perfect. And it's it's uh, it's it's a, it seems to me like a masterstroke from Julian Ward. I think it's his, it's what is his third deal now. It is. I think so. Um, yeah. So he, he comes in on like, let's just say ballpark here, like one hundred, and then that was his first contract. And then you know he probably been up to what two two twenty something like that. It's around yeah, it's reported as around two twenty yeah. And then like this is the big deal, um, but that sets our market down for like right if, if we're signing that like if you're Luis Diaz or Darwin Nunes coming in and go right you're getting one hundred hundred and twenty I think Darwin's been mentioned as one forty yeah and say right right well here's how the here's how the procedure works with us if you do two or three good years and you smash it we'll up you to 200 if you do another two or three good years you'll hit the top mark the free mm-hmm. 350 whatever but then like you know you mentioned Virgil van Dijk he signed a contract last summer obviously after this injury and coming back and stuff Um, I I don't think he's going to be knocking on the door to say like I want that money because he knows just how important he is and I think as you said it's a two year extension but I think it's been branded as a free year contract so it's probably yeah. right it's 350 from now like it's it's scrap your old one this is a new one yeah. and if you're good enough over them three years then you know we might tag another year or two onto it if you start to dip in form we can say right well we'll keep you from the year or two but you're going to have to come back down again to like 2, 250 and, and, and also like, naturally as, peak, as well uh, yeah, naturally as well. When you when you think about Van Dyke and you know, in two years down the line, Van Dyke's still prob- most likely going to be the same defender as he always was. I mean, if he's come back from a, a cruciate injury, we know he never really relies on his pace. You can probably see maybe two years down the line when Salah maybe does move on, and you can predict a little bit of decline. It's unlikely Salah's going to be the same player as when he's thirty three than what he is now. But you know, Van Dyke still has that probably big contract in him at, at maybe 32 for a couple of years. You know, it wouldn't shock me if in two years' time Salah was to move on and then Van Dyke was to move up to that money. I think he's the only one you can really, they can you know, definitely kneel down command that money in terms of the impact he has on the team being probably similar to Salah, I would say. Yeah, maybe if he's got the captaincy arm on by then because yeah, you know, not not digging on the fellow who is the captain right now. But oh, here we go. <laughs> in, in two years' time, like. The reality is, like, Hendo's not a starter in two years, but Virgil probably is. And the captaincy yeah. probably goes between Virgil and Trent as his backup, or uh, vice, sorry. And, yeah, then you maybe you maybe throw Trent in there and you say, right, well, you then go up to, like, the, the 250 mark, whatever, and if Virgil gets the captaincy in a year or two's time, and you say, like, right, well, that's your bump in pay. Or we just say, right, well, you know, if you're captain, then you're going to get a bonus because you're the captain. Like, we don't have to increase the wages but mark it down as a bonus you know like you know like City do with all these backdoor payments for all their players who are only on certain amounts of money or certain fees but we all know they're being paid through backdoor companies that are you know listed in Abu Dhabi but aren't actually connected to Man City you know that one Um, but that's probably the the structure that we could look down and say like right well you're worthy and as you say like defenders age slower than you know forwards like as you say he doesn't need to rely on his pace because it's all in his head um, but the, yeah I, I think it just works and it's not necessarily like the structure that we've like destroyed here because I think I've seen before he's only the ninth highest player paid player in the league like City and United have got well more and there's players at United who aren't worthy of getting an start at 11 who are probably on more money or have yeah. been like support Pogba and so on yeah Rashford like, yeah 
they're just like throwing money around like stupid. Like I seen the comparison saying, you know, Sancho went to United because they just threw a bag of money at him. Yeah. But now, if you probably offered them twelve months ago, do you want to come to the pool and say, right, you're going to start off on one hundred and fifty? His career would have been so much better. You'd imagine just managed, and he would have been in a better situation, and maybe on his way to earning big money. But you know, he chose the money, and he chose United, and that was a downfall. And I've not yet listened to the to the pod with Dave and Bill, but I'm sure they've probably slandered United as much as we could probably go into it. I know they got the fun one, didn't they? They got the they got to the slag them off. I was gonna I was gonna ask Dave if we could do Everton, but uh, I think for, <laughs> they're not really rivals. Well, we tied ourselves into a knot with with the rivals title, didn't we? Yeah, um, I'm sure we'll get a few digs in as the podcast goes. Yeah, just my last point on Salah. I think um, the only thing that frustrated me, and, and when I was getting frustrated, and when I was thinking that possibly he was going to see out the contract and, and go for free next summer, possibly obviously to a Premier League rival. My only issue was that kind of, you know, the, the, the dip in form obviously it did coincide with the African Cup of Nations. And there's absolutely no doubt that knackered his legs. You know, he he, he played I'm pretty sure as much, uh, as many, sorry, minutes as he as he possibly could in that tournament. And on top of the number of minutes he had to play with Liverpool being in all four competitions as well. But I do wonder if the agent piping up so much mid-season when he was having such a good season um, did get in his head slightly. And, and, and the frustration for me was, you know, well, Okay, yes, you might get an extra 30, 40 grand a week out of out of us, but is it worth kind of risking the quadruple for that? I don't know personally, and you know, I'm sure Salah was able to, and I'm sure footballers in general are able to let their agents deal with that side of it. And um, you know, in interviews, Salah certainly didn't come across the way the way the agent did. So possibly um, a little bit of a false equivalence there from me, but yeah, that, that that's my last word on it. And just yeah, obviously delighted to have him for the next three years he's not going to kind of go to a rival in the in the acrimonious kind of way that Torres and Suarez and and others did but um you know he's ours now and he, he is going to well if he's not already he's he's certainly going to become a Liverpool legend and he can probably be having a look at that top scorers list the all-time top scorers you know he's already in the top 10 and he's he's only a few goals off the likes of I think Gerrard and Dalglish and he's 30 behind Gerrard as it he's stands 30 behind Gerrard you know so he's, he's going to smash that and I think Michael Owen's around there is he maybe ahead of Owen um by now anyway you know he's going to end up in the top possibly the top five top scorers in, in Liverpool's history which to be for a guy who you know who joined us when he was what uh, 24 25 had already failed at another Premier League club is, is just staggering so uh, yeah can't wait to see Mo in Liverpool shirt next season but we will move on and talk about Chelsea now and there's there's quite a lot to get stuck into Jay there's obviously ins and outs well a lack of ins so far but certainly lots of of rumors some very um, acrimonious stories coming out about who's leaving the club and um, the culture around the club was obviously the takeover but I guess my first question to you is you look at the last five seasons of the Premier League and um, going back to 17-18 to where City get 100 points and, and walk the league and kind of set that benchmark the season after that is is obviously the famous one where we win the Champions League and, and they finish above us by a point they get 98 and we get 97 the season after that, we obviously get 99 um, and we walk it. City are nowhere near. Uh, the season after that, City only hit 80, 86 points, but there's nobody challenging them for the league that year. Obviously, that's a COVID year and um, when we were playing the likes of, of, of Phillips and Williams. And, and we were in the race up until around Christmas, I think. And then last season, where City get 93 and, and 92. And I guess my point in that is for the last five years, you know, it's not like there's been a consistent high 90s points total required to win the league. Um, but even when one of City or Liverpool has tailed off, there's been no other main challenge for the title. And um, we've been the only two teams in business really the last two years. So 
do you think not even necessarily just Chelsea do you think anyone can challenge that if we go at the same rate and do you think we will go at the same rate Liverpool and City with the World Cup and the distractions of that this year uh, in, in short to that yeah I think we will go at the same rate I think we're well you know you've only got to look at who we brought in and who City have brought in like we're we're not standing still um, and in all essence we've both added firepower to our squads and you know, maybe it points in both teams a little bit of change of tact in terms of the way they're going to approach games. I think you might see a little bit of more, more of 4-2-3-1 from both teams, especially if City are bringing in Calvin Phillips. I think that points more to me as not not necessarily a Rodri battle, maybe a double pivot in midfield for them. And I think, you know, there's been music talks that we could be going to that sort of formation. So I think the essence will be, you know, to get goals and probably see out for them. For City, like, but we're not we're not on them focused. But I think you know the sign of Haaland is to get them over the line in big games. And for us, it's just a bit of you know refreshing the squad and bringing the natural average age of the team down. And you know I think we've done it quite seamlessly. So yeah, I can't really see anyone after like the World Cup challenges. I think I said this on a previous pod. We've just got to get to the World Cup break in you know in in the same sort of ballpark as Man City. Like if you didn't touching distance five or six points not the the 14 we had last time at Christmas or whatever it was and we just give ourselves too much to do and we nearly done it we nearly did the impossible um, but you know I think it, it just naturally you, you get you runners and riders early on and Chelsea were flying at some point last year the off field stuff we can get into but you know naturally by the time you get to February and you've got like 12 games left the top two, if there is going to be a top two, tend to pull away from the pack. Like now and again, you might get a top three, but even then, by the time you get to eight games left, it becomes a top two. And you know, more often than not, like four or five games to go, it becomes a top one. It's pretty clear, but we have just managed to nail onto the coattails of City for the last four out of five years. So I think it will be the same again. I think Chelsea this year, for me, won't be as as close as what maybe people thought they were last year um, and I just think you know all that's going on with them off the field and the takeovers and so much changing behind the scenes especially higher up um, I just just can't see it for myself and you know the players they're linked with you, you can only put so many stars into the team and expect them to work straight away like look at United last year putting big players in it doesn't always work and too sure we know is a bit of a divisive character. He can yeah. cause an argument in a telephone box with himself. So I, just, I, just, I can't see it. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but like, you just look at the players they've let go so far. Like, just looking at their departure, it's like Rudiger Christiansen mm-hmm. and Lukaku. Like, okay, didn't maybe have such an impact as he could have Lukaku, but Christiansen and Rudiger are big, big players for them, especially in the last few years. And I think... Aspilicueta is going to be signing on for the year he was meant to be going um, but you look at their defence like as it stands you've got Aspilicueta is probably what 32, 33 Thiago Silva is about 61 um, <laughs> Trevor Chalabin Malang Saar and I think that's it the centre half point and then you, you know I think Marcus Alonso wants out Chilwell coming off an injury Reese James you know the what, fourth best right back in England or something like that. <laughs> um, or the first, if you ask Gareth Southgate, but we all know the facts. So I, I just think like there's a lot of like disruption there. You see players like Kante 
Jorginho linked with moves. Like they want Sterling apparently, but Timo Werner is meant to be on his way out. And it, there's just more questions than answers. I think with Chelsea, we, we can we can delve into it now. But on the whole, I think that's what's going to be their season. It's just going to lead more questions than answers in the out, in the outcome of the year. It's it's not going to play out too well on the whole. I think. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and I think well. Just as as well, Saul Niguez obviously has gone back to Atletico Madrid. So while he didn't really have a massive impact for them last year, um, you know it's 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 one less option in their midfield now again. And um, you know, obviously makes you think back to the absolute bedwetting when uh, when we didn't get that over the line. Everyone kind of really bought into the idea that we were signing him. Um, and 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 look what happened. It's almost as if the guys at the top at Liverpool know what they're doing. But um, I, I know I'm I'm with you, and I think the thing when we're discussing whether our so-called rivals are, are going to challenge us, it's the way I look at it is that, okay, yes, you can, you can spend big on these stars, as you say, even, you know, even despite the, the idea, and you're absolutely right about United signing all these players and not being able to, to mix them in Chelsea doing the same historically. At the end of the day, the only two, well, first of all, Liverpool and City are the only teams that have ever gone at this rate. And it's the highest quality two teams. I don't care what anyone says that the Premier League's ever seen, but, you know, City have nailed the idea of of spending big and actually being effective with it. And there's, you know, people say Guardiola's a checkbook manager, and there's absolutely no doubt Guardiola couldn't have done the job that Jurgen Klopp's done at Liverpool with the same players and with the same budget. But that said, you know, there's plenty of managers across history, and and I mean every other manager across history who's had a big budget has never done uh, and been as effective with it as what Guardiola has. So Man City have nailed that um, kind of kind of culture and way of doing things. Liverpool have nailed the other way of doing things where, well, if we don't have resources X and resources Y in abundance, we have to make sure we're really, really, really good at Z. Um, and they've created everything around the marginal gains. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp's been a massive factor and just the culture around the club. So we've nailed that part of it. So I almost think anyone else trying to do that, you know, Conte coming in, decent manager, signing decent players, Chelsea, bit of investment. Whoa, 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 whoa. A few He's just signed with Charleston. <laughs> yeah, well, we can we'll leave that to somebody else. You know, that's another one we could get a really get stuck into. But Sorry yeah. to stop you there, but I have to put in. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and obviously the Blues have, have massively bought into his is uh, is winding up of us and and, and, and so called um, love for Everton Football Club got out at the earliest opportunity. Not even their club he wins trophies either. So nice one, lads. Um, but it'd be, well, my, my, my general point is that the teams can be doing good things and signing good players, but. Liverpool and City have nailed the, the the two ways you can you can go at this rate, and I can't see anyone creating or replicating that because Liverpool and City are so established in that mould, if that makes sense. Um, that that anyone anyone who tries to replicate that just almost seems like a Poundland version of us. So from that perspective, I'm I'm not too worried, and yeah, we, we've got a lot to get stuck into. But the, the one thing that I think Dave mentioned it on the well, I think we did it actually in the pre-pod of the last podcast where we were talking about, and I know Liverpool have quite a few players going to the World Cup, but when you look at the likes of Diaz, Salah, um, you know, there's plenty of players around our squad who will be getting a six-week break there, and important players will be getting a six-week break. And we look down Man City's team, and it's pretty much everyone's going to be going to the World Cup. Um, now obviously, they're, all, they're not all going to get to the final. You know, some of them will be back within three weeks or whatever, but that's disruption. And when I look down, you know, Chelsea's squad, uh, I'll just rhyme off some names, you know, Alonso's probably going... Uh, Jorginho, well, Jorginho isn't actually at leading qualify, but Silva, Kante, Kovacic, Croatia, you know, Pulisic, USA, handful of English lads in there who are either going or not good enough for England, so they're not a massive worry. Um, you know, Edward Mendy's going. 
Ziyech, I'm not sure if Morocco have qualified, but you look at big players, there are fearsome players who aren't going to the World Cup. They're few and far between, and that's not the case with Liverpool. And I've, I've a lot of faith, probably more faith than I've ever had, that, that Liverpool are going to win the league next season because of how, you know, first of all, the plan we'll have in place for the World Cup, I absolutely guarantee it will be more in- intricate um, and more precise than any other team's. But you look at the squad there, and that's a lot of disruption on top of a lot of disruption, as we'll come on to talk about with the ownership and this, that and the other, and not being able to sign players. Yeah, and I don't think we we really know what this ownership are going to bring. I think, obviously, we, we, we all know the situation as to why they have got new owners and um, obviously the stuff with Roman and Russia and Ukraine and stuff like that. That's for a different discussion. But, you know, new owners they have got, and I think that it was... It was branded as though they're going to go for a different sort of approach to what they used to more of, you know, more along the lines of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this fella Todd Bowley's come in. He's, he's lost. Well, he's lost the, the boardroom, as it seems like. Bruce Buck's gone, Granaskaya's gone, and Peter Check's gone this last week, and he's imposed himself as the sporting director or something in that role. Like, I don't, yeah, he seems to be doing nego- leading negotiations himself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what his credentials are but he's come from an American sports background I don't think he's got much football credentials so all I'm saying to them is good luck with that Um, but I just think I've seen how that goes it just it just leads to too many questions as I said before and yeah like the management of the squad I think I wouldn't be surprised if Tuchel's gone before the end of the year either he's walked or he's been sacked because this fella's probably going to try and make a statement and try and, yeah. you know, do what Chelsea have done over the past, what, 24 years or something like that, or something crazy that Roman had been there. And it was that their policy was higher and fired and it worked for them. But, yeah, getting into the World Cup thing and their squad, um, I just think that they're so mismatched anyway. And they've got through the years with just throwing money at players and throwing like lads into the team and some years it works, some years it doesn't. Like, you know, look at look at Conte's reign, for example, he come in, smashed it, won the league. Year later, fell apart, year later he's out the door, or he's gone after two years or whatever. And then, you know, that they're up, they're down, like there's no no stability to them. Like and you know, we've had a roller coaster in terms of like Liverpool fans. We've been at the highest as we was and then we went right through the lows, but we've done it in a, in a gradual way, like we we've went down and we've we've hit the the low the low marks of Roy Hodgson and stuff, but when we we've we've come back with Rogers and we thought we were going up again and slightly dipped, but then we've we've just naturally just picked ourselves back up and gone on an incline where there's is extreme ups, extreme downs, and like to go from what they were as European champions, albeit like in a mad COVID season, to to where they were last year, like it's it's mental. It must be so. Like disruptive to be a fan. I mean, I can't imagine what Chelsea Twitter's like. If it was anything like Liverpool Twitter, I think it's self-implode. But <laughs> I, I just think, as I say, the, the way they are, and I think that the players they're linked to, it just doesn't seem to seem like they've got a plan. And maybe that's just a reflection of this new guy who they brought in. Like he's put himself in a position of so much power, and he's lost what what he had in so much continuity there, and it doesn't. It doesn't seem to look like they're going to be too close to us, as we've said, like towards the end of the year. But I think even early on, I think this could be the season where they sort of get overtaken maybe by the likes of Spurs and 
they drop down into that like genuine battle for fourth place this year. That's how I think where they'll end up. Yeah, it is an interesting point you make, and it's one I hadn't really considered in terms of the continuity with Abramovich, because you know for years we've all taken the piss out of them, and you know plastic club, Russian money, you know this carefree attitude that they've had. But you know what we forget is that it, as you say, it has actually worked for them. The idea of of going through managers and the the kind of managerial merry-go-round has worked for them. You know, there's managers who've come in, won a Champions League, they get sacked. As I say, we all take the piss, but you know they have had a relatively consistent amount of success for. For so many years now and you know somebody coming in and yeah you, you do have to laugh at these these sort of billionaires coming in and when i read that this guy was leading negotiations for transfer players having as you say no experience in the game it's just this unfounded arrogance of these guys because they've, they've made a bit of money probably had, had most of it handed to them if we're all honest but you know it's a, a 4.25 billion takeover American part owner of the LA Dodgers and US investment firm Clear Lake Capital um so you know Going in there and 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 taking on such a hands-on role, it, it's this idea, it's this you know, this god complex of people like this can come in and, and conquer the world. And as you say, you know, if Chelsea weren't able to to challenge this current crop of 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 Liverpool and Man City going at this rate with Abramovich with everything that we're doing, then I highly doubt that him coming in and pumping a bit of money in is 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 going to make them start challenging us. And I think you're absolutely right. It's more likely to go the other way. Maybe the likes of Spurs, the likes of Arsenal, um, you know, clubs a little bit better run, um, can then overtake them. And you know, once you're out of the Champions League one season, the revenue's so large that it's very difficult to to to, to then get back in. And obviously, you know, when you're owning a football club, everyone knows you don't really make profit off football clubs unless you're Joel Glazer taking out like massive dividends out of United. But you know, in, in generally, it's not a it's not a it's not a business you're going to make profit out of. It's it's kind of like an investment. It's a it's a personal thing. And you know, I, I just wonder how you know exactly how much um how much this Todd Bully, I think his his name is is exactly up to. But he 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 does say that. Um, Tuchel is going to be given significant funds for his squad, and you, you would expect that. Um, and well, <laughs> they, they haven't brought anyone in yet, and it's the first of July. You know, it used to be this idea that you know you would never really hear of, of, of players coming in before the first of July. Um, you know, nowadays most of, most of the transfers, certainly Liverpool's transfers, are all done long before that. And, you know, you wouldn't be shocked if we if we don't do anything else now this summer. I think we will wait for the midfielder, but. For, for Chelsea to have nobody in, especially with the season starting a, a week earlier, I'm not sure exactly when the transfer window's closing because, you know, for a while they were doing that before the season started and then Europe didn't really follow suit and then COVID happened and they extended it. So I'm not sure exactly when it closes, but five weeks to the start of the season and, you know, with the World Cup coming up, obviously with the disruption that they've had, it's certainly put a, a spanner in the works to say the least. And I just think that, it, it could turn out to be a complete shit show. You know, it was only a month ago where they thought they weren't able to extend contracts, so weren't able to spend any money. Obviously, the assets were frozen. The takeover has happened, but there's certainly, you know, not been a, a plan in place, a long-term plan in place. This this Todd Bowley guy's not come in, you know, and for years before anticipated that the Russia-Ukraine thing was going to happen and I'm going to go in and I'm going to do this and this is my plan. I think he's probably seen it as a little bit of an opportunistic thing. Um, and the fact that they've got no business over the line now, and obviously there's been rumours of Rafinha the last couple of days, and um, now it looks like he might be going to Barcelona, but they seem to be scrambling around for funds and players. And, you know, when you compare that, I'm just so glad that, that Liverpool are in such great hands, because when you look at other clubs like that, um, you know, 
not that they they could do what we're doing as well as us, but they're the complete opposite and they're so unprepared. And it's it's just great to have I think Liverpool in the conversation as as as, as one of the best planned teams in the league. Yeah, I think it. Like, you know, FSG have got all all the knockers for for many reasons, but one thing you certainly can't knock them on is the way they run the club, like off the field. Like look at the stadium we're, we're currently building at the moment. Like it's it's flying up. It looks great. Chelsea can't build a stadium because they've got nowhere to build it in in the middle of West London. Like to to build a stadium down there is going to cost you well over a billion quid, and we're doing it for you know a fraction of the price. Like we're building yeah. and not actually taking any people out the stadium while we're doing it. With that, that's how clever we are, and um, we're building around it, and then you know just input it. But I think with, with them, I think it's it, it, it is just all a bit of a mess and. They don't seem to have any sort of plan where we do, you know, like as we compare, as we are with rivals, we, we are chalk and cheese, like in terms of every aspect, like on the field, the way we play, the way we're managed off the field, fan bases, stadiums, stuff like that. It's just complete opposites and, you know, the old north-south divide it is and stuff like that. But it just, it, it, it is mad how, how different we are, really. Um, but with them, as you say, the, the players they're linked to it, it does just it stems back to the you know the early Roman days and maybe that's the sort of approach that this top bowler is going for as, as Roman did when he first come in and if you throw enough cash about like you appease the fans and you know if you get a couple of names in the link with Raheem Sterling and the link with Rafinha whether he's going there whether he's going to Arsenal whether he's going to Barcelona or whether he just ends up somewhere else like I think he's just flirting with everyone um, you know I think he, he's desperate to get. A big name in the door, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sterling goes there, yeah, because he's a London lad. But I would be surprised that City allowing him to go to what would be deemed a rival um, in the league, especially like you know we've we've sort of slated them, but they're, they're still a, a genuine rival. But there must be a reason why City are letting them go, um, and I think like that's what they're after. Like, they've got to get a big name in to sort of put a marker down and say, well. Here we are. We've got the cash. Like we'll try and do the same thing, but I just don't think it will. Like, I I just can't see it. And you know they've got a lot of a lot of issues at the back. I think they've linked to Matthias the Lick from Juventus, yeah. but you know I don't I don't watch enough Serie A because you know it's not on regular telly anymore and stuff like that. Like, but from all accounts, he's not developed into the player that everyone thought he was three years ago when he was at Ajax. Um, if you can't break into the Juventus team on a regular basis, which he's not really done from from what I've heard, like he's he's been in, he's been out. So he, at his age, he should have been probably you know knocking on the door to be the Juventus captain if he was this good or the way he was he was touted about three years ago when he did move. Um, but they're probably going to have to pay a lot of money for him just purely for his name. And I don't know who his agent is, but I think it was linked to the Mina Raiola agency. So. You know those agent fees don't come cheap either. Um, but again, as we said before, they've let Christiansen go, they've let Rudiger go. They they've got a lot of a lot of things to solve, and yeah, I the transfer window as as you were uh, thinking about, it, I just had a little look. It doesn't close until the first of September, which is actually five weeks or five game weeks into the season played. Yeah. So, you know. There's a lot of time to go. There's two full months as it stands, and I think that could be a factor. And you might just see teams, if the likes of Chelsea get off to a little bit of a shaky start, they might just panic and 
and start to throw cash about. I think where we've been very smart, as you've said, is we've done our business early. We may, we may not bring a midfielder in. That's to be seen. But if we don't, you know, we we go with what we've got, and you know, Jurgen and the team will be more than prepared for it. Where they just seem like they're gonna just throw as much well shit and cash at the wall and see if any of it sticks because that's what they've done for the last few years and you know just because they've got a different owner I think he's just trying to appease the fan base and say like we you know we're still going to do this process but I just don't see it lasting no completely and um when you have a look at the the players they're supposedly bringing in I think you, we, we've, we've been through most of them obviously we've talked about Rafinha uh, Raheem Sterling, yeah, you know, would be a good signing. I, I think he's a fantastic player. But at the end of the day, if City are, are willing to let him go at this point, then signing him is unlikely to to, to kind of propel you up to that level that, that Liverpool and City are at. And I know we, we keep talking about that, but that's obviously the context of this podcast. And that's what we're interested in. Delict, there's been links to him. And Nathan Ake as well, which I guess is um, just another example of of the, the succession planning that, that just isn't there at Chelsea. If they were willing to sell him on, he goes to a, another rival eventually, I think via Bournemouth, and looks to be coming back. Well, it shows that they're panicking about the, the, the situation about, about Rudiger and Christensen, as you say. Um, I guess two players to maybe be aware of, and you know, because we're looking at these players that they might buy in, um, and we don't think they're of the, the quality. They're, you know, good players around sort of fourth, fifth, sixth quality and, and will make them stronger, but not enough to challenge us. Um, but Conor Gallagher and Armando Brugge as well, coming back on loan now, I think Gallagher's a fantastic player. Um, really, really impressed with him at, at, at Crystal Palace this season. When the whole thing about Roman Abramovich and the freezing of the assets came around, I wondered if there was anything we could do to get Gallagher on the cheap maybe, because um, I think he would he would suit us very well. I think Jurgen Klopp would love him. Um, now, how much of a chance he's going to get at Chelsea next season will be interesting. Is he at the level of a Mason Mount? Is he at the level of you know some of those other younger players, the likes of Pulisic, the likes of um, you know I, I can't think off the top of my head right now, but you know, Bruges as well. Is that a good season at Southampton? He's been touted to go back there. Um, is is there anyone there that really stands out for you? You know, do you think you know for me, Rafinha is the type of signing of a Spurs or an Arsenal trying to get maybe into the top four. You know, we'll add a few goals just being quite consistent. Same with Sterling, big name. Um, Ake, Delict, you know, I, I guess just what I'm trying to say is it's they're the names that are going to cement their position as maybe third and fourth. And is that the aim for them, do you think? Is that their ceiling um, going forward with, with, with names like that? Um, it would it would appear so. And I think one thing that would be a note is is the age of these lads that they're bringing, or they're looking to bring in a path and the left, obviously, is a young young player. I think Sterling's, what, 27, 28. Yeah. I imagine that he's around all the same time. So they're, they're sort of trying to buy for the here and now, and that would tie into your point of, you know, they're not really going to get any higher because these lads are, are available from, you know, the top-end club. They're, they're happy to let them go. Uh, Rafinha, as you said, like, I think if, if we bought Rafinha, It'd be a squad rotation option. He's not going to go in and nail down a first eleven place. He's not, you know, he, he's not going to start on the right hand side because that's where Salah is. Is he playing sort of in the midfield role? Possibly he could do, but he he doesn't doesn't show enough to me to be what we look for in the midfield. Unless we change shape, as it would be, um, as you say, the the one big one for me is is Conor Gallagher. Um, you know, if we could have got him out of Chelsea, like he would be ideal to. Sorry to bring it up again, but if, if Henderson in two years' time, you know, 
he would be a perfect Henderson replacement in two yeah, years he would. He would. or eighteen months or whatever. Like over over that time period. Oh, he, it's getting he, it's getting shorter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's facing the captaincy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think like he's just he shows a lot, and just to you know tie it into us, like that's what I'd love to see us do with Curtis Jones. Like you know, send him somewhere like Palace for the year and let him see what he's got. Like, is he good enough for us, or is he at that level? Like. I think there's a lot of question marks around cases and um, a move like that would do a lot for his developments and do a lot in terms of us who ask questions because I think he's a player who sort of divides our fan base as to what is he. Um, so a move like that would be nice, but I don't think it's going to happen unless someone comes in the door. But yeah, back to, back towards Chelsea. I think this Brozier kid is being touted as a move maybe for West Ham. Um I think he's 19, 10 and 20 in the next few months and he was a, a ballpark figure on his head of about 25 to 30 mil and what Chelsea have done well over the recent times or more than recent times is they've, they've hoarded youngsters from all over Europe and developed it to a point of being able to sell for profit and that would be another one which wouldn't be a surprise but again, you've used the term before, maybe come back to Horton bringing it right back to the beginning of the podcast, Mo Salah, a lad who they brought in at a young age, didn't really think much of him, and it's come back to haunt him. Kevin De Bruyne, another one. Romelu Lukaku, one who they've recently had, but he brought back twice, and it's not really worked for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as it is now, he's back on loan into Milan, and I don't think he could wait to get out there quick enough, and maybe that, again, does, does point to what we were saying earlier on with the that this harmony behind the scenes like it's not a happy place to be it's not a you know a cohesive squad it's not all working for them obviously the off field stuff but that again that this all points to the direction which we sort of lead in is that we think they're probably going to be challenging for top four and not for the for the title and unless they bring in some of the different players as we as we are that the ones they're linked to yeah you, you've nailed it I think that they're just consolidating the top four place if they can get there. They're not they're not worrying us as, as they would be. Yeah, yeah, completely with you with that. And um I think we we've said everything we need to say on Chelsea and you know the Lukaku things obviously just just crazy. It it seems like the worst financial deal in, in history. He's going there for what is it a four million loan fee or something ridiculous? Now he is contracted until twenty twenty six, but if their aspirations are to have to go for 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 much longer, and as we say, we're not we're not sure exactly in that. Then you know what on earth is going to happen with that? He's certainly going to go for a, a much cut fee, and Tuchel doesn't seem to fancy him. And you know we've we've talked about the man management of Tuchel. It was it was an issue at Dortmund. It was an issue at PSG. It seems to have been an issue at, at Chelsea. And I always felt he was riding a bit of the crest of a wave there. Um, obviously that lasted longer, and, and crest of a wave is you know is normally sort of two or three months at most, and they kind of rode that for about a year with the European Cup win, with, with the World Cup, Club Cup. And, you know, in in only November, a lot of people were tightening them for the league. I always did still think it was between us and City. Or certainly, you know, it was a case of whether we could challenge City. Um, and I think that will be the case as well next season. But, um, you know, there, there's reports coming out about bullying, a bullying culture within the, the actual club itself, not the players. There have been allegations of that. Obviously, Rudiger's got off for about, about 400k a week at, at Real Madrid. And as you say, it's it's just it just looks like a little bit of a mess. It doesn't look like there's much of a plan. 
Um, and you know when you, you've got the other team, as as I mentioned before, you've got the team who's nailed the spending big part of it, and you've got the team who's nailed the succession planning part of it, and we're going at this rate, then I think we're both agreed that uh, that Chelsea won't challenge us this season. So just before you go, uh, before we go, Jay, um, we'll not obviously do whether we're going to win the league or City. I think we're, we're both agreed that Liverpool and City will be the top two by quite a distance again. But just give me, uh, I know it's off the cuff and putting you on the spot here, give me your third, fourth, fifth and sixth for next season. As, as it stands, I'd say probably Spurs, third, Chelsea, fourth, Arsenal, fifth, United, sixth. Okay. Um, but I think the only one I got, well, actually, no, I think I got, actually got the top four right last year. And I, I got the wrong order because I had those two in the league and then City and then Chelsea and then I had Spurs. Um, but yeah, it's hard to call. I think one thing that we, I think we mentioned people that we haven't touched on as well is the games against Chelsea. Um, yeah, like we've got to win them this year, or we've got to at least win one of them. Yeah, City, um, City won both of their their games against Chelsea, and we yeah. both obviously, and that's not even going into the two cup finals. So four times against them, we, we weren't able to get the better better of them in regular time in any really. And the two games we drew in the league, if I remember rightly, we were. There. We were ahead. I know we were we were behind, weren't we? At home for the yes. Kai Havertz header, and then we got the two nil up at Stamford Bridge, weren't we? Yeah, it was the penalty with Reese James and the handball. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think uh, we'll touch on this across like whoever does the other the other couple of rivals. I think it, that is what we need to nail down next season. Is we drew twice with City, twice with Spurs, twice with Chelsea. If you win your home games against all them and pick up one or two draws you're automatically putting yourself five, six points better off than what you were last year. And, you know, considering we lost the league by a point, it could all just come down to that. Um, I think that as the fixtures sort of stand, the first half of the season or the, the pre-World Cup, a lot of our big games are away from home. I think we've only got City at home um, before the World Cup break. So that's going to be huge to us. And, you know, we, we've got to get a good quick start and the game's away, like you know, Maybe not so much a big rival, but United are early on, Everton are early on. Like they're still big games because they're derbies. Um, we've got to go to these places and just make sure we put the points on the board. And we'd always back ourselves when we get these teams back home at Anfield in the second half of the season. Like look what we did this year. But yeah, I think that's one thing that we've got to ensure that we do. Like we, we've got to make sure we're ahead of Chelsea this time. Like you know, we scraped ourselves through the two cup finals, but. We've now got to push on and make sure that we're we're beating them, because right? you know points get prizes, and unfortunately we were one point behind the big prize, and one of them draws into a win is two points, and that could have been a difference. You you just never know. It's all hindsight now, but we've got to we've got to literally push that marker down next year. And as as I sort of alluded to, spares I think will be better, even with the siren of a, of a dancing pigeon that falls on the floor. Um, <laughs> They, they are going to be a better team. Conte is going to go all in for this year because he's not going to be there for much longer after that, maybe another year. Like He is the epitome of, like, I'm all in for two or three years, then I'm out. Yeah. So they're, they're all chips on the table this year. So for me, they're, they're going to be a close survival, but we've just got to, got to get our home wins on the board. I think if we can go, you know, 17, 18 home wins and maybe the odd draw here and there that we probably don't expect... I think we could live with that, but against the rivals, we've got to nail a big win. 
definitely in in the, in the top four last season we we drew all six games against our our top four rivals and as I say Chelsea beat um or sorry City beat Chelsea home and away they did lose to Spurs home and away you know we, we picked up two points there but I suppose the difference between our two points against Chelsea to City six points against them is four points whereas the difference between our two draws against Spurs to City's two defeats is only two points and I guess if you're looking at that Chelsea Spurs if if we do think they are going to be in and around the top four, then, you know, even if you, I don't think it's as simple as going more attacking in a certain game or even in terms of tactics, but, you know, if, if you can turn those four draws into two wins and two defeats even, well, that's an extra two points. And last season that would have won us the league. And I'm not sure that if just that change will win us the league, because I can imagine that Haaland's addition to Man City will will add them a few more points. I think we're going we're to need to go at an even higher rate. I wouldn't be surprised if they, the points Sally required to win the league was between 95 and 100 next season. Um, but I think that's probably for another podcast. Just uh, just to, to throw my two pence in, I, I, I agree with you. I think um, I think Spurs will definitely be third next season. I can see that being kind of the peak of, of Conte's reign there. I can see them actually maybe, you know, being very difficult to beat in, in cup competitions and, and, and in Europe as well. So that's one to keep an eye on. I think for a lot of these teams, it's more likely they'll win the Champions League than the, uh, than the Premier League. I think United will be sixth again. And I, yeah, between Chelsea and Arsenal for that last top four spot, I don't want to be go full Dave Dunning, um, with my straw hat on, but um, he's, I think maybe Arsenal will sneak, sneak forth this year. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, you said you were gonna sneak it in, so I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't get away with that. My dog just decided he wants to shake his mouth all over the place and drink lots of water. So yeah, if you can hear someone tapping around, it's him, um, and that's probably a good place to call an end to this one because. He's not going to leave me alone until I let him back out in the garden. Spot on. We'll, we'll call it there. Okay. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. Um, I'm sure everyone and um, the other guys will be back um, to, well, they will be back at some point to preview the season and um, and talk about the other rivals. But yeah, that has been your salary action, um, your review and analysis of, of Chelsea, if you call it that. Um, and I've been Andy Bell. Thank you very much to Jay Reid. Thank you very much to you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you again probably in the next couple of weeks. All the best. Bye-bye.